Kante and welcome to season two, episode 12, the last but definitely not the least interview with our Latino mentors worldwide. Right now we have Edgar Virguez Rodriguez, he's an energy systems engineer who is from Colombia but is actually doing research and teaching courses at Duke University in North Carolina, US. So we're really looking forward to hearing about the future of education with him. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Gary. For me, it's a pleasure being here and sharing with our audience what I think is pretty important about all the discussions in the higher education system right now. Yeah, education is something that has definitely been changing a lot during the pandemic especially. But I wanted to ask a little bit about your background. You've been an academic for quite a while before you were the head of research cooperation at the University de los Andes in Bogota. Why did you decide to move from the Latin American academic sphere to the academic sphere in the U.S.? Thank you. So I was able to work in several different sectors across the industry. So I was able to work in consultancy on higher education. I was able to do research and that gave me the understanding of each of the sectors. I realized that my passion and what I really enjoy is working in the intersection of higher education, administration, and research. Pursuing a PhD was the like, next step to, towards my short-term and medium-term goal. I believe that the academic system of the United States was unique in terms that it offered a possibility of improving or enhancing my knowledge skills, but also allowing me just to develop a lot of the transferable skills I needed to succeed in the short term. So one of the things I enjoy every week in my life, it's teaching and connecting with students. I, I really don't see myself without disseminating knowledge, without engaging with my students, learning from them, helping them to achieve their dreams. To be honest, this has been the best four years in my life. Wow, that's really cool. Even reading up a little bit on your contributions, you've definitely changed a lot of things at Duke using more technology, Two of the main ways that you're helping students are through mentoring Latino students and also mentoring energy scientist students. But let's talk about mentoring the Latino students first with this organization called Ecta Pale. It's from a language called Shiwilu, and I'll go ahead and read the definition here. It's in Spanish on ectapalec.com. So it says here, ayudar a caminar a una persona. Este verbo suele usar usarse para referirse a la manera en que se ayuda a caminar a un niñito o niñita que está empezando a hacerlo, para lo cual uno debe desplazarse lentamente junto a él o ella. Muchos hemos aprendido a caminar así, pero en la lengua shiwilu tenemos una palabra que describe esta acción. So for those of you who are like, I don't know what that means. English, please. <laughs> Ekpapalek is a very nice verb from this language called shiwilu, which talks about helping someone learn how to walk, just like moms help little babies to hold their hands and walk with them maybe on their feet to help them get used to it. Most of us learn how to walk that way, but this actually describes how mentoring should work. How does the, the organization actually focus on this terminology in their mentoring process? Thanks for bringing this into the conversation. I think that we have an untapped potential across Latin America. We have such unbelievable students who have 
all the talent to develop themselves, to become leaders on their field. However, we have limited educational opportunities across Latin America. So I think that one of the contributions that I can make to the higher education field is making sure that we increase their access to premier research universities, to premier education, to making sure that we give them the resources that they need to succeed. They already had their talent, they already had the skills, they lack opportunities. So that's what Ekpapalek is trying to do. As you mentioned, it's not that we are just building a recipe for mentoring and mentee relationships that works for everybody. Is acknowledging that you need to work with them to make sure that they succeed on their own individual paths. I love mentoring. I love reading about how to make students become the better versions of, them, of themselves. And that's what mentoring should be all about. It's not about trying to clone yourself, but trying to help them achieve their own dreams and try to achieve their own purposes. And that's what mentor-mentee relations are at, at Papalek. You connect via different forms or different kind of processes. And whenever you establish a connection with one of them, you begin to explore how can you help them. So sometimes it's about an internship. They're interested in doing an internship in a research lab or at a university, or maybe they're interested in applying to a specific fellowship. I've, I've had students who want to apply for scholarships that give them this, the resources that they want to go to other countries in Latin America. I've mentored students who want want to continue their academic process in North America. So there is a lot of things that they want to achieve. Sometimes they just want to say, hey, I don't know if a master or a PhD is for me. Can you please describe some of your experiences? It's one of the things that I also enjoyed a lot, helping students achieving the best versions of themselves and making sure that they understand that they can actually make a change in their communities. They don't have to be here at Duke, they don't have to be at a specific university. They can start right now where they are, they can make a big impact. And that's what Ekpapalek is. Clarissa Rios, who's the director and founder of Ekpapalek, had been doing this for, I'd say, five years now. It's amazing all the work that she has been doing, leading this kind of, of, of programs and formalizing all of them. Because one of the things that we are actually facing when we speak about mentorship is that even though we have the resources, we have to formalize them in a way that you can achieve sustainability of all these programs. You have to ensure that once you be begin to develop all these frameworks, the frameworks are there for others to continue. And that's what Ekpapalek is for. Yeah, exactly. I got to check in with Clar Clarissa, maybe for season three. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone wants to be a mentor or a mentee, how can they do that? Perfect. So if you go to the Ekpapalek main page, it's easy just to Google that. You'll see different forms. One of them you are able to connect as a mentee. So they ask things like, what do you want to achieve with a mentor-mentee relationship? What's your background? What's the main objective? And there is an individual form if you want to apply to be a mentor. There is some basic training, some commitments, some things you need to understand, but it's pretty easy. Of course, all of this is free for mentors and mentees. So this is on a voluntary basis. That's one of the resources I think I have found that it's incredibly valuable. Wow, that's nice, especially the mentor training to make sure everybody's on the same page. That's, that's, that's great. Now going to the younger people that need help, even younger than the students, like chiquititos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How are you helping your students there at Duke to be able to work on their communication skills by talking to young children in Colombia? How does that work? 
Thank you. That's a great question. When I started my PhD here in 2016, I was committed to help my local community in Bogota, Colombia. When I started my education stage here at Duke, I was committed to improve my teaching skills, but I want to connect this education profile that I got before with my local community. So I was given the possibility of working a course called Voices of the Environment. It's, it's a course where you try to understand that when you're speaking about sustainability issues, you need to understand the voices that are behind that. It's not only about understanding the technical components, but the people that would be affected by the problem, engaging the solutions, all of that. So it's a course where we improve our it's communication skills in Spanish, and you are going to learn a little bit about the environment. When I received the course, the course was mainly about discussions. It was like an overall kind of discussion about the environment. I thought that it was pretty interesting to give the course a twist and I redesigned the course so that we worked on specific issues in Latin America. So for example, when I begin to address problems like Paramo, I told them, how many of you know what Paramo is? They didn't have a clue. For all of you who are watching us right now, it's one of the unique ecosystems that we have in Colombia. 60% of the paramos are actually located in Colombia. Paramos are hotspots, meaning that you have a lot of biodiversity. It's a beautiful ecosystem and it has a lot of complexities. And like that, there is a list of topics that you only learn about Latin America. So when you begin to explore all these topics, my students were very engaged. We were discussing about the fires in the Amazon jungle. Were they caused by political controversies or they were naturally made? What was the difference? How do you actually engage in ecotourism? When you visit the case of Galapagos Island, is ecotourism sustainable? There is a lot of things across Latin America, but I was missing a, a connection to a community. I was like, hey, we need to engage with a community. So that's when I actually contacted one of my best friends who work at a Colombian NGO called Fundación Ayuda por Colombia. It's a beautiful place where they host students who can't access the traditional K-12 system, either because their parents are restricted about resources or they don't mm -hmm. have parents. It's located in a marginal community called El Codito. Students receive all kinds of training in the NGO. Nice. So he was working there and he's like, hey, why don't we connect this beautiful community with my students and help them collaborate each other, help them grow together. That's one of the things I always like to promote is this positive synergies that you can create between two communities. So we concluded a final project in which children that's around five to 10 years old formulate questions about the environment. You ask them freely, what do you want to learn about the environment? And sometimes they do this beautiful question like, what's the animal who takes cares the most about of the environment? What's the uh -huh. animal? And it's like, oh, that's a really fun question. But sometimes it's really hard questions. Like I saw in the news that kids are dying because they can't drink water. And I, and I saw my neighbor just pouring water to the plants. Why can't we use that water to help them survive? You got eight years and you are asking these complex questions. My students create an audiovisual between four to six minutes answering those questions. When you speak to a kid, I help them understand which of the topics would be adequate to teach or to reinforce to the student. I teach them how to use simple terms or simple words where you are connecting with anybody in an audience. You have to answer it not only in a verbal way, but also put audiovisuals, put images, videos, things that make the kids interested in the answer. 
So my students learn about how to improve their communication skills, not only expressing themselves in words, but also putting videos, images. So of course they are already proficient in Spanish, but they have to masterize different terms or to connect the sentences in a way that kids would understand. So it's a really joyful project in which we have a lot of fun working together. Most important, I believe we are doing a change to the community. So after the projects are done, I send the projects to the NGO. The kids see the projects and their reactions are amazing. It's, I would say, life-changing. Many of my students, when they are watching the reactions, they feel like they are really doing a change. Some of these kids just j jump because they are really joyful. Like, oh, somebody from the United States is, is speaking to me. They feel in Spanish. They feel powerful. <laughs> That's what we want to achieve with the next generation and the youngest generation. We want to understand that even though they don't have access to the resources, working on sustainability, it's important. And that we are able to access higher education. We should be working as bridge as a kind of connectors to make sure that they access these kind of opportunities. So overall, going to the first question that you asked me, this experience has been amazing. I had the privilege of working in this from 2017 to 2020. This is the fourth time I teach a course. The course has been pretty well received, and now we have launched different versions of the course. So the course has been pretty successful. And the last thing that I'm going to mention here is that I receive also the support from the Association of the American Colleges and Universities. I was selected as one of the leaders in higher education in 2020. They gave me the K. Patricia Cross Award. That gave me a platform for being able just to voice this type of project with other universities. I was in the annual meeting in January, sitting down with 2,000 leaders across the United States who believe in liberal education. And one of the discussions that we were having is that we need to implement digital learning and digital components to our education, not only because of the COVID pandemic, but we need to do this with a purpose. If we only do this to adapt to the current status quo, we are actually not advancing education, but if we meaningfully trying to address a community that otherwise would be unconnected, and we actually use this as a driver to transform academia into a more inclusive sector, we are succeeding. That's what I believe. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're breaking a lot of barriers there. Academia has a very, unfortunately, bad reputation of being inaccessible. People use language that when you read it, like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> so it's great that what you're doing is to have them explain it in another language. One, you have to simplify it a little bit because it's not your native language. Then you have to explain it to kids. You have to simplify it even further. There's a, a proverb that we have among teachers. If you can't teach it, then you need to go back and relearn it. And if you can't explain it to a kid, then you need to simplify a little bit further. <laughs> and, and as you mentioned, it's also a really good opportunity to connect many of the clusters of information that you have, that process of reflection, it's pretty effective for, for what we are doing. Oh, we have a fan, Catalina Avila. She says, I'm a fan, the greatest uh -huh. teacher ever. <laughs> Thank you, Catalina. Do you mean me or Edgar? <laughs> I think that it means you. But thank you, Catalina, for watching. What I really want to focus on with adding the audio visual components to learning 
I think a lot of people have been fighting this for so long. Now we're being pushed. Why is that so important, even for adults and their learning process? How does that help them? I think that we need to understand education as a continuously evolving process. We shouldn't address formal education as I'm going to school and get my degree and I'm done. We need to understand that we need to be open to learn every day in our lives, that you never finish absorbing knowledge. So it's important for us to understand that society will be continually changing. Of course, we will have stages in our life where we have a dramatic change, like what we happened with COVID. So we should be open to adapt to the different stages in our life to make sure that we remain open to education and to learn about others and other skills. So when you actually finish your education, you are actually sometimes tired of learning or studying and you have these ideas like, I would never go to a class again, or I would never want to go to a course again because that was so hard or that I am exhausted. I've been working this hard. Then you close your doors to actually improving yourself. That's part of what academia is doing wrong. We should be giving the message that once you enroll at the university, you should be a student for all your life. You should be always go back to review what information you had before, what information it's available around and how you actually are going to update yourself on information. So that's the message that I want to transmit is that we need to, at several stages in our life, remind ourselves that we need to become teachable. We have to be open to learn and to grow in the different areas. We need to keep improving and learning. That's something I'm in love with learning each morning. I think that's, that's very important. Yeah, that's true. That's two things you need to do to be able to do that. First, have a growth mindset. If you don't know it, you don't know it yet. And also be humble enough to realize that you don't know. Some people exactly. are like, oh, yeah, I, I know that. I don't need your help with that. And you're just like, fulano, okay? <laughs> One of the things I discover here, you can have two different paths. The first one is when you actually become an expert on your field, you kind of find yourself isolated and think nobody will be able to teach me anything about this. I'm an expert. I will be working alone. I don't want to receive or to exchange any knowledge with the community. Or the second kind of way of thinking is learning that you are far from understanding any of the problems that you are studying and you need to continue learning and maintaining this humble attitude towards learning. If you actually woke up saying like, hey, I don't have anything to learn. I'm already, I have this title. You won't be open to many of the things. That implies having conversations with people around you. Many times I've had the privilege of speaking with amazing people. My wife, who is a, a wonderful woman, she's really curious. like, why do you like to speak every time we go to a taxi or we go to a restaurant? She's like, why do you want to speak with everybody who is around you? And I always tell her that I, I think that we should learn at least a little bit from everybody who we are in contact. It's pretty interesting to see how if you have the disposition to learn, you are able to increase the awareness and increase the need for learning. And that's important. That's true. We have another fan for you, Edgar Ivan Rios. We in Colombia ah. are so proud of Edgar's work. I'm a fan too. It's interesting to learn more about all the initiatives Duke has. So thank you, Ivan. <laughs> One of the things I love, it's been how your community will always be there. Being here, um, I know that Duke is one of the best universities in the world. That graduate degree that I'm finishing is one of the best in the world. 
And I'm not here alone. I've been privileged as a member of a society who believed in me. So I should be always thankful for that. So I should be able to give back to the community, not only here, but locally at Colombia and to Latin America. That's one of the things I always try to do, understanding that I'm not here because of my effort or my talents, but because of several stakeholders who believe in me. So one of the things I've I've learned in life is try to always be happy and you'll always be thankful. What you have, it's much more than others in society. Instead of criticizing, you should list everything that you have and not everything that you are lacking. So that's one of the things I just want to reinforce. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. If you have, then you have to help those who don't have. It's a nice point. With your background as well, you've been a consultant, you've been a professor, now you're a researcher. How does your background as a consultant help you to innovate in the course or teaching space? That's a great question. One of the things I've discovered is that there is not a specific time to do a PhD or to continue a graduate degree. Everybody's decision is different. I didn't pursue my PhD before because I wanted to make a rational decision, being extremely sure that this was the next step. Years ago, when I was pursuing my master's degree in Colombia, I did an internship in Switzerland in, in ETH, one of the best engineering schools in the world. It was amazing. When I was there, I was given the opportunity to continue with a, a doctoral degree. When I was faced with this opportunity, I actually questioned myself is this was what I wanted to do. Even though this was a unique, beautiful opportunity, I was not sure that I, I had all the tools and the resources I needed at that time to continue. So I withdraw from that. I actually went to do consultancy because I wanted to learn from an outside perspective. What would academia look like? What's the different benefits and potentials for improvement that academia had? I work at a consultancy firm solving problems for an external client, working with the client and trying to answer some of the questions that he, he had. It was a pretty interesting process in which I learned a lot about how to actually maximize the impact I have for, for the community. and most important, have an external vision of the higher education sector. What we are doing good, what we weren't doing so good. Like I love consultancy and I, I think that it was a great stage. That's not for me. My wife is the best consultant who I've known throughout the years and I know she's one of the best <laughs> in the field. And she's in love. Every time you see her engage with a client, she's glowing. She's a really good consultant because she feels that that's the sector that she should be working in. I admire her work, I respect her work, I learn so much when she's doing consultancy because when she's doing that, she's in the place where she should be. I felt that academia was the place that I would need to be. I thought that we needed to address several challenges that we have in academia. We are proud that we are doing a lot of cutting edge research, but the administration side of academia, it's 60 or 50 years old. So I said, hey, this sector needs a new vision. This kind of educational sector need leaders that we actually push that sector forward. That's the position that I see myself in. It's a position where I can make a change, where I can improve the sectors for everybody. We are blessed to have a, a two-year-old daughter. Aww. And every time I think now about the higher education sector that she's going to found when she enters college in 16 years, it's personal for me. What kind of higher education sector we will offer her 
what kind of opportunities we were over here. That's one of the things I believe. So going back to the question you mentioned, I believe that consultancy gave me a, a pretty unique perspective of how to improve academia that helped me a lot trying to gain insights on what drove my passion. I'll reinforce this idea of the most amazing professional who I've met. That's my wife, who is devoting her life to change consultancy and working in sustainability consultancy. Sometimes I hear that when you work in academia, you are working in the not real sector, or when you go on the streets, the real sector. I believe that we need to coordinate, we need to articulate the different sectors, and we need to work together to improve them, to have an overall improvement. My PhD dissertation, it's in decarbonization, how to provide all the services that we need as a society without discharging carbon emissions to the atmosphere. Hmm. One of the main messages that I have found is that we need to work collectively, all of us as stakeholders. We need to align our intentions to make sure that we achieve that objective. That's a little bit of what academia has told me and, and what I want to do in this sector. Yeah, I love that because you decided to be a hybrid on purpose. I agree with you there. It's important to provide the research to the private sector and work together to implement it. So I really like that. Don't be shy. Mention your wife and what type of industry she's working in, please. (laughs) So her name is Temis Coral. She works right now as a senior sustainability consultant at JBE, and that's a consulting firm who that works helping different companies to achieve sustainable operation. What she does is working with Fortune 500 companies to achieve their sustainable objectives. That's pretty interesting as a stakeholder, we should look for these companies. However, when you are going to incorporate that into your business, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. If you're going, to, you're going to decrease your carbon emissions by 30 or 40%, you need somebody who take a look at your operations and say, hey, we can cut 10% from here, 20% from here and implement that into actions. Moreover, you need somebody who can tell you, why don't you actually go to 50% reduction? You can do that. I've heard the conversation she had about this and that's what drove her passion. She's able to do this in a sustainable way. Sometimes she's able to say, hey, we're gonna work in in this specific project and we're gonna help this company report to this um, international organization who actually recognizes companies to reduce carbon emissions. You're gonna save money. So that's one of the things that she, she's doing. She has been named as one of the emergent leaders in the United States as in the sustainability sector. Wow. I think that's pretty important. We are both from Latin America. We came here looking for more opportunities, but we are making sure that we transform the sectors that we are in. I forgot to tell, my wife finished her Master of Environmental Management at Duke in 2019. So we changed the vision that we have from the environmental sector here in the United States. So that's what we want to do. And again, I think that you need to have a balance between your personal and professional life. Mm-hmm. It's my belief that you have to make sure that your personal priorities align with your professional priorities. And that's what we have done as a family. We sit down and discuss where we see our family going. How do we see our family transforming the society? And that's what we are pursuing as a family. So that's one of the things I, I actually feel um, empowered about it. Yeah, family is definitely important. If you're a single person, don't feel bad because you still have your friends that are like family, but to have people close to you is very important on days when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Then they're like, you can do it. Talk it up. You can do it. (laughs) So it is helpful. My husband encourages me a lot too because sometimes I'm just like, no more. (laughs) And he's like, okay. 
<laughs> if you are not failing and if you are not tired, it means that you are not trying enough. Maybe you are not putting yourself to the limit and that hard. Yeah, that's true. Being normal is easy. Being extraordinary requires extra. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Edgar. If people want to get in touch with you, I know you're on LinkedIn, also Twitter. What are your handles so they can find you? Perfect. I'm really open to to establish this kind of communication with anybody who wants to, to speak with me. Don't be shy to shoot me an email. It's been a privilege just to speak with you, Gabby, to speak with your audience and, and to actually share a little bit of what I have done. The most important thing is that this is my story. This has been my path. But I think that's important for any of you who is watching this to discover your own path. So if you want to follow Edgar, he's on LinkedIn, Edgar Vilgues Rodriguez, and Twitter, Edgar Vilgues R. If you want to get some motivation from Edgar's dog, at Mr. Brown, the fluffiest. <laughs> Mr. Brownie, the fluffiest. And one thing I want the listeners to remember, this is a quote from Audrey Hepburn, a famous actress from back in the day. She said, impossible equals I'm possible if you change your mindset. <laughs> so thank you so much, Edgar. And you know the drill. Learn by doing and asking. Until next time, hasta pronto.